This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is NPR's Life Kit. I am Jen Hemphill. I am a financial counselor, and I talk money on my podcast, Her Dinero Matters. Today, I'm answering your questions with two personal finance experts, Willa Williams and Wislia Eccles from the Abundant Living podcast. I cannot wait to get into your questions that range from sharing expenses with your partner, credit scores, savings for your kids, and more. Welcome, Wislia and Willa. Let's start off with learning about you. Tell me a little bit about what you do and who you are. (laughs) Oh, great, Jen. We're so happy to be here. Well, I am Leslie Eccles, and Willa and I own Trinity Financial Coaching. We help professional women create a purposeful blueprint for them to balance living the life they want to live, as well as building wealth for their future. Yes, and we've been together as Trinity Financial Coaching for over 10 years now. Nice. Now let's go ahead and dive into the listeners' questions. And the first one comes from a listener named Maggie. Hi, Life Kit. My name is Maggie, and I have two finance questions. First, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how many savings accounts you recommend individuals have at a given time, particularly for, you know, young adults who are early in their careers, just starting to kind of get some savings together. So was hoping to hear about that, as well as um, any specific savings tips you have for individuals who get paid on a bi-weekly schedule. Thanks so much. I can start on this one. I would recommend that there are at least two savings accounts, one for short-term goals, so that you can begin to set aside monies to be able to pull from uh, for the things that you want to do in the near term. And then also an emergency fund where you will be saving for things that may happen unforeseen or long-term goals, monies that you don't go after very quickly. So you need at least two of them. I totally agree with Willa. Um, And then the third one, obviously, would be the account that you would set up for your retirement savings. So like Willa said, you have your short-term savings, you have your long-term savings, um, and then you also have some things specifically for like retirement. And then the first tip would definitely be automation. When you automate your savings and you start putting, you know, a designated amount into each account, it can grow quickly because you're not thinking about it because it's happening automatically and it's already included in your budget. So you don't have to remember, oh, I have to put this $50 in this account or I have to put this $25 in that account and $100 in that account. You can just set it up automatically so that it happens for you so you don't have to think about it. Absolutely. And Maggie also addressed the biweekly pay. And I'm thinking I want to add something for sinking funds Mm -hmm. because those expenses that don't come on a monthly basis Mm -hmm. that are occasional. So it may be the travel. It may be the gifts, especially around Christmas Mm -hmm. time. It may be clothing, Mm -hmm. those type of things. If you plan those, because I'm convinced that it's those sinking funds that 
contribute to people getting into credit card debt just because of a lack of planning. And also for those people that get paid biweekly, that means they have two extra checks in a year. So I would say to you, Maggie, make sure you have a plan for those two extra paychecks instead of those paychecks arriving and then you don't have a plan and then it disappears. Absolutely. And I liked how you uh, mentioned the two extra paychecks. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because, you know, when we come across, quote unquote, extra money, if we don't have a plan for it, You've been there. I'm sure you've both been there. Mm -hmm. I have been there. We get extra money or we get a pay raise. We don't make a plan for it. And all of a sudden, we're wondering where it went. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. This next question is from Ida, and she also has a question on savings accounts. Hi, my name is Ida Abata. My question for you today is... Um, What type of savings account should I open for my daughters? The reason why I'm interested in this question is because as a mother of two um, black girls under the ages of 10, I want to make sure I am investing in their future um, as part of that generational wealth building, which is such a challenge for most black and brown and immigrant communities in America. Thank you so much. Well, let's recognize, Ida, I really love that she brought up this question. Mm -hmm. She's thinking ahead. She's thinking in the future for her daughters. And generational wealth has been such a buzzword, a keyword, I even say in the past few years. I'm excited as well that she's also thinking ahead. Um, I think one of the things that she has to consider is, I know she mentioned generational wealth, but also what is the goal for the money? Because I think the the goal for the money besides building generational wealth will determine the type of account because you can have the custodial account, obviously, which is just the, uh, the uh, savings account that is in you and your child's name. But then you also have the college fund planning accounts like the 529 or the college savings plans where you can save uh, specifically for college. Those are some of the ways that she can start saving for, um, for her children. But again, I think the goal that she has in mind is most important. Yeah, I think the generational wealth, that is so important. One thing that she should do is that as she's working with the children, with the custodial account, that she also familiarizes her daughters with how the deposits that they're making can earn them greater and greater and greater interest. It might be slow depending on the type of savings account and the interest rate, of course, but she can show them how with compounding interest the continual depositing of savings account monies would grow and help them reach their goal of generational wealth. Yes, I'm always a big fan of starting where you're at with what you have. Mm. Because I think when it comes to saving, when it comes to investing, people tend to think, well, I don't have that much money to invest. But it's about starting where you're at with what you have. And the other thing I would say, Ida, is think about opening up a Roth IRA for your daughters. Mm -hmm. That is a possibility. They do have to show some earned income, and that can be done from dog walking, babysitting, any of that, because that is another possibility to actually start investing. And that's what I would add. (laughs) 
we are moving from saving to talking about real estate. And the next question is from Pablo Serrano. He says, my wife and I are looking to buy a house in the D.C. area. The realtor and lenders think that now is the time to buy because interest rates and inflation will go up. But financial experts say that waiting will be better because demand will go down. What are your recommendations? I can speak a little bit about the real estate market. Uh, my husband and I were in that market for a while. And it is good to watch the market to see what where the inflation rate is and to see uh, what the interest rates are. But they have to be ready, Pablo and his wife. They have to know that they're prepared and ready to ride the tide of whatever is going to happen in the market as it goes forward. And it's not just having the money to put down to um, make the purchase. You also have to live in that property. You got to furnish it. You've got to maintain it. You've got to do the landscaping. There are so many things that people don't consider sometimes when they think about going from renting maybe to home ownership. And the reality is, there's really nothing wrong with renting. There really isn't. I always try to tell people that when you're a homeowner, you can't call the landlord to come and fix something. You got to be prepared yourself. So I would encourage them to first get a pre-approval, make sure they have the monies available, the capital to put down, do the best they can to put down 20% so you can avoid the mortgage insurance That's an additional cost. Don't get caught up in the things like bridge loans. So there's a lot that goes into that. It is definitely a big topic. What are your thoughts with Leo? I do agree that in the rising interest rate situation that we're in right now, that the demand for homes are going to decrease slightly. But like Willis said, you have to be ready so that when you see the opportunity, you can put in your offer and get the home, you know, that you have been looking for. I know prior to this, it was very hard for people to find homes. I know several people who had been looking for homes and they kept getting outbidded or, you know, just so many people were looking. Um, But I did read a report recently that the demand is starting to go down because interest rates are rising meaning that people mm-hmm. are not um, wanting to pay 5%, <laughs> you know, interest rate on a mortgage when it has been like two and a half, three percent 3% for so long. And so because of that, it might slow down. But when it slows down and you see what you want, you should be ready to get it. Absolutely. And with real estate, it's a very tempting area to invest in. And I would say, Pablo, to consider why are you wanting to buy a home? What is the reason that you want to buy a home? And allow that to guide you in helping you make that decision. And also consider that when you invest in a home, when you buy a home, that money, that investment is tied up in the walls of the house. And also when investing in a home, it's not just a mortgage payment, but there's maintenance. And being a a house homeowner can be costly. So you have to also consider besides the mortgage payment, you want to set money aside for the maintenance that comes up. You eventually may have to 
replace the roof. You may have to do different things, and those things cost money. So you have to be able to budget that in and make sure that that is a part of your financial plan. All right. Now the next question is really common and sometimes the tricky part of personal finance. My name is Kevin Doherty, and I'm calling from Chicago, Illinois. What are basic strategies with respect to cost sharing and structuring bank accounts for couples who live together and share expenses? Does the best strategy change when one partner makes significantly more than the other? This question, I'm not going to lie, this question really excited me because I love when couples ask this question because that means that they're communicating or they're starting to communicate about mm-hmm. finance. So who wants to tackle it first? Wow. I love that um, you asked this question as well. And I agree, Jen, that the fact that you all are even communicating about finances is great. There's no hard, fast rule about how to share expenses, but it's the communication that you have and knowing your partner that's going to help you honestly answer that question. Income, who makes the most income shouldn't be, you know, I don't think should be the guiding factor. It could be based upon just financial habits and, you know, administrative habits and paying attention to detail, things like that. People don't think about that when they talk about sharing their expenses, Um With the communication, I think you all can come up with um, an approach, whether it's having a joint checking account for the household expenses and that you both deposit your paychecks in that account and then write your expenses out of that account. And then from that account, you guys can both decide amounts that can go into individual savings accounts. I'm not opposed to couples having their individual accounts. But I do know that both of you should be aware of the accounts that you have so that you don't cause any distrust in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So you remember, money is a very, very funny and tricky thing when it comes to relationships. <laughs> and so when we start acting um, deceptively or somebody starts feeling a trigger of distrust around money, that can also lead into other areas of the relationship. I'll stop there because I can talk about that. That, that. that is one of Will and I's... Um, <laughs> passion conversations because we love working with couples and because yeah. <laughs> I've been yeah. married for 28 years and Will has been married what 30 35 and I one of the reasons why we've been able to be married for so long is because of the way that we manage our household finances and I have always believed that the person who makes the most money they can contribute a little more But I think they should have uh, their own individual savings account. Everyone should have that. Uh, I also think and recommend that couples have a specific amount of money that they have agreed to together that they can be adults, go out and spend without calling one another. My husband and I have a set dollar amount where I can make a purchase And I don't have to call him. He can make a purchase. He doesn't have to call me. When we do that, we see ourselves as adults. Yeah, and I would add to that, Kevin, that yes, have that conversation. Understand what your goals are as a couple. And then from there, you can make that decision. So for example, you can have a fully joint account where 
you decide ahead of time what percentage or what dollar amount can go into that joint account for the the bills or the daily expenses. And there's so many different ways of doing this, but I'm just giving you some examples here. So you can take that and put your own spin on it. Then you can each have separate accounts where maybe both of you came in with some debt and you want to just take care of that yourselves. Then you take care of that from that individual account. So there's different ways of doing it. And there's not one perfect way. It's the way that works best for you, your situation, that you're going to be consistent with. And also in the course of time, that may change and give yourself permission to change and adjust. And maybe right now it's not the time to have joint accounts. Maybe it's early on in your marriage and maybe you're just like, "Mm, I am not ready. And that's okay. So give yourself that permission to change later on because it doesn't have to be one way forever. All right. Our last question comes from Kirsten. Hi, my name is Kirsten. My partner and I bought a house last year and I noticed on my credit report that the full loan value for our house purchase um, is on my credit report um, and presumably is also the full value on my partner's credit report. Doesn't that seem like it's double dipping? All right, was Lilia, Willa, who wants to tackle this one? Well, I don't think it's double dipping. What it is actually showing on your credit report is the amount of debt that you're carrying and it's the activity on that debt as you're paying it down. It's showing as a positive that you're making your payments. And I'm assuming that you're making your payments on time. It is exactly the same way with the accounts that we have. As long as your name and your partner's name is on that mortgage, it's going to show on both of your accounts on all of the reporting agencies. It's just the way they do it. I agree. And um, as you continue to make your payments on time and continue to uh, manage your other debt well and pay those payments on time, um, if your credit score had lessened as soon as you you know purchase a home, it'll start to go back up, and that's only because um, of utilization. Like you you've you're showing that I've added this loan, so it's kind of re- reduced your your credit capacity a little bit. But like I said, as you start paying it timely, um, you'll start start to see your credit score go back up, and yes, it will affect both of you because both of your names are on that mortgage. Before we go, what is one finance tip that you want to leave us with? I think one finance tip that I would leave you all with is that specifically, if you are in your 30s or your building career stage, think about retirement now. Think about setting aside, establishing an IRA, a Roth IRA, either one, so that you can be forward thinking and not have to catch up later, but begin to think about it now. So that would be my retirement tip. I think my tip is to see your budget as a tool for empowerment. Look at that as being empowered to make a decision and deciding that because that goal is so important to me, I'm willing to not do X, Y, Z. I'm willing to not go um, dine out five times a week. I'll dine out twice a week because that goal is more important to me. It's not that you can't, 
but you have made the decision. So it's your perspective about money and your perspective about your budget that um, that's the tip that I would love to live. Have it get a different perspective about budgeting. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much with Leon Willa for taking some time to answer these questions. I've enjoyed this time with you. Thank you. Oh, we had a great time. Thank you for having us. For more Life Kit, check out our other episodes. We've got one all about financial intimacy, how to talk to your partner about money, and another on teaching kids about money. And if you love Life Kit and want more, subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org forward slash Life Kit newsletter. And now, a completely random tip. My name is Patrick Antashevich. Many of us like waiting for warmer water when we're getting ready for a shower. I would grab a bucket and use that water for uh, watering the plants outside. Thank you. If you've got a good tip, leave us a voicemail at 202-216-9823 or email us a voice memo at lifekit at npr.org. This episode of Life Kit was produced by Sylvie Douglas with engineering support from Daniel Shukin. Megan Kane is our managing producer. Beth Donovan is our senior editor. Our visuals editor is Beck Harlan. Our digital editor is Dahlia Mortada. Our production team includes Andy Tegel, Audrey Wynn, Monsi Karana, and Michelle Aslam. I'm Jen Hemphill. Thank you for listening. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast. Support for NPR and the following message come from State Farm. As a State Farm agent and agency owner, Lakeisha Gaines is passionate about empowering other small businesses. In the last several years, there are more business owners than we can count. Businesses are opening up quite frequently. And I think that shows the need, the dreams, and the desires of the community to have the independence and to have the financial freedom that's important to them. The reason why it's so important to me to be out there to share information and to educate the community is because I know that a dream doesn't always help you to be successful. You need the competency, you need the wisdom, you need the knowledge. That's where we come in as State Farm agents, our ability to be able to teach over 100 years of experience in this world to say, hey, we got you. You got this and we got this. Let's do it together. Talk to your local agent about small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.